0: This morning, however, we're going to finish up our study of 3 John. I hope you've enjoyed and and gotten as much out of this little letter in the back of your Bible, this postcard from a friend. But let's stand it as we turn to 3 John. And this morning, as we wrap it up, we'll look at these closing verses, beginning with verse 11. We're kind of overlapping verse 11 from last week to this week. But beginning with verse 11, and then concluding with verse 14 or 15, depending on what translation of the Bible you have this morning. some number that last part of 14 is, as 15. It says, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but, but what is good. The one who does good is of God, and the one who does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And we also testify for him. And you know that our testimony is true. I have many things to write to you, but I don't want to write to you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon. And we will talk face to face. Peace be with you. The friends send you greetings. Greet the friends by name. Father, we thank you. For this letter that we've gotten so much out of, a few words but packed with insight on what true prosperity is all about. And Lord, I pray that as we discuss this pinnacle of prosperity, this good testimony that we can have, that we would seek to pattern our lives after men like Demetrius and not like Diotrephes, who we looked at last week, that we might have a good testimony. And that we might finish our race strong as well one day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, we, we've looked at a prayer for prosperity and how to pray the will of God, what the Word of God, walking in the Spirit and according to the Word of God has to do with that. And then we looked at the purposes of prosperity as you become a channel of God's blessing in this world as He pours into your life spiritually, even in ways materially, in the ways that he gives you, you become a channel of his prosperity so that you can further his cause and be a blessing to others in this world. Then we came back and saw Diotrephes last week and talked about the peril of misguided prosperity when we begin to make it all about us and put ourselves first and, and worry about how well we're doing in the world's eyes rather than pleasing God and being his instrument in this world, we we get a misguided conception of prosperity and we want to steer clear of that, which will kind of spill over into the message this morning. But this morning we're going to look at the pinnacle of prosperity. What I think is the greatest prosperity that we can say that we've experienced when God calls us home one day is that we had, like Demetrius in this text, like John who's writing this letter who would be the apostle, the one apostle who would live uh, to a ripe old age. And historians tell us die exiled in his old age. Um, A good testimony, that's the pinnacle of prosperity, that you would have a good testimony. We're going to see that that leads to a life or flows from a life of integrity and intimacy with others. I remember years ago reading the story about a couple who had walked into a fried chicken place. It may have been KFC, I'm not sure. But they would walked into a fried chicken place and uh, while they were waiting on their order, the manager who was taking the money to the bank would often disguise the money by putting it in a bucket, one of the chicken buckets. And as uh, she was making change for one of the cashiers there, the buckets kind of got mixed up. And so this couple, rather than being handed their chicken that they were taking to a picnic that afternoon, they were handed a bucket of thousands of dollars that the uh, restaurant had brought in that day. And so they get to their picnic, they open their bucket of chicken, and it's cash. And they immediately realize this is a problem, and the man said, we've got to take this money back. And so they go back into this fried chicken place where the manager was distraught just knowing for sure that he had already lost his job, that it was, that it was a done deal because the, somebody had made away with all these thousands of dollars. And when they brought the money back, the manager was so overjoyed and said, wow, I can't believe you brought it back. And when he counted it, it was all there. He said, wait, you, you can't leave i 'm um, going to call the the papers to come do an interview with you. This is an amazing story. This never There are not people like you who would have brought this money back living in this world. This is just crazy, and, and so i want, want the uh, newspaper to come. I, I know the columnists here who would do an article on you and i 'd really love for them to come and interview you. This would be great. And the man said, no, 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 don't, don't call the newspaper. Don't. He was trying to be real humble. no, yeah, I'm going to call him. The manager's trying to get him. A, no, don't, don't, don't call. And finally, this man, this gentleman was able to get the manager over to the side and said, look, you can't do this. You see, this woman that I'm with is not my wife, and I can't let anybody find out that I was with her, and, and this, this would just be a bad deal for me. Integrity. You know, there there can be so many of our lives that we we look at our life and we say, in this area, I'm doing well. Well, I, I would never hurt anybody. And then in other areas of our life, we're proving that we're really not the real deal. We've really got a long ways to go when it comes to building a good testimony. What's our ultimate goal through all of this? Is it one day when this life is over, to, to leave a legacy? If so, what kind of legacy? Is it one to the glory of God? Is it to make an eternal difference? Can we enjoy this life? You know, First Peter chapter 3 and verse 10 assumes that it is a noble thing that it is okay to love life and see good days. Sometimes we, we feel like as Christians we're just supposed to be so suffering through this life. That we forget that even the crucified life is a life where the Bible says we can love life, enjoy it, and see good days. But if we're not careful, if we assume that this life, the life we now live, if we assume this life is all there is, whether we're atheists or practical atheists because we don't live life in view of eternity and God's role in our life, if this life is all there is, we'll be given over to some kind of hedonism to where we just try to eat, drink, and be merry, uh, and have as much fun as we can in life, soak it all in, and then we die Or we could have a defeatist mentality of doom and gloom. Well, nothing matters anyway, so we give ourselves over to depression. If we we think this life is all there is, the Apostle Paul says, we are of all men most pitiable, miserable. If we think that eternity is all there is to live for, and that God has nothing to offer in this life, if we miss out on the abundant life, then we're given over to a life of passivism and spiritual lethargy where we're saying, well, let me just hang on, and I believe there's a lot of Christians doing that. I'm just going to hang on for the ride. I'm not going to enjoy this at all. I'm not going to expect much out of this life just waiting for eternity. We need to live this life in view of eternity But we need to view eternity with an understanding that this life makes all the difference. The choices we make, the life we live, the people we impact makes all the difference in how we spend eternity. That's why testimony matters. The reputation that we leave behind matters. We can't escape Proverbs 22.1, which says, A good name is more desirable than great Wealth or great riches. Loving favor is more desirable than silver or gold. And so when we have a good testimony and we have good relationships in this life, it is meaningful, it is valuable, and it impacts us and others for eternity. The pinnacle of prosperity, a good testimony, means that we'll have a life with two great pursuits, Right here in the text, what we see in the life of Demetrius and what we see in the heart of John, who is writing this letter, two great pursuits in life. So this morning, I want you to ask yourself, I hope you uh, will write these down. In fact, let me encourage you this morning and maybe liberate some of you. It's okay to even write in your Bible. I think you will probably be able to look at it and tell, oh, this is where God wrote and this is where I wrote, but... Give yourself some room in the margins, or if you've got a place at the bottom of uh, this short book, write these two great pursuits down and be constantly reminded of them. The first great pursuit is what we'll call the pursuit of integrity, integrity, being the real deal, being authentic, your faith being genuine, living out what you say you believe, the pursuit of of integrity. And before we look at Demetrius in verse 12, let's go back to what we saw last week in verse 11, because verse 11 kind of sets up the discussion that involves Demetrius, as we've been warned not to follow the example of Diotrephes, who we saw last week was setting a bad example. Some of us still need to repent. If we're going to live a life of integrity, we need to repent from following any bad examples in our lives. The had that misguided perception. And so many times it starts so young, usually around the middle school years, but it continues on up through a midlife crisis to where we begin to pursue unhealthy relationships with the wrong people because we're looking for the wrong things in order to be laid prosperous. And so there's a certain popularity, a certain worldliness that we want to win the people over with in this world and we've got to be careful, as verse 11 says, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. And we saw last week that when we begin to imitate what is evil, we reveal that there's a problem in our heart. We can't escape those verses like Psalm 11 blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. He does not stand in the path of the sinner. He does not sit in the seat of the scoffer. In fact, 1 Corinthians 15, which is that resurrection chapter that tells us that if we, if we have hope in this life alone, we're of all men most miserable. In verse 33, it tells us that bad company corrupts good character. Bad company, some of you are like, yeah, that's a rock band from the 70s or 80s, right? Uh, bad company corrupts good character. And so the people that you spend time with, the people who influence you, matter. 2 Corinthians 6.14 tells us to not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. That applies to marriage. That applies to the most intimate friendships in your life. Now, do you need lost people as friends in your life? Absolutely. Absolutely but they're not going to be your closest, most intimate friends. They're not the people you're going to lock arms with through life. In fact, you want to lock arms with other solid believers so that you can try to reach out and grab hold of them and pull them out of the life that they're in and point them to a relationship with Jesus Christ. But you don't surround yourself continually, with people who will pull you in the wrong direction. You do not follow their example. You enter into their life with love and accountability as a witness, but not as someone whose example you're striving to follow, nor someone you're trying to impress. In fact, when Peter's writing about this in 1 Peter 4, he says, remember, that's your old life. You used to run with this crowd But God has changed you so that now that when they're involved in their flood of dissipation, when they're involved in sin, when they're doing the things that God saved you out of, they're going to think it's strange that you don't run with them anymore. There are some people in your life, in my life, that at some point or another, they thought you were strange because you didn't want to go and do what they were doing. At at any and every age. I pray for our middle schoolers. That's a tough time because they really get thought strange if they don't do what everybody else is doing. It continues in high school. They get their driver's license. Who are they going to run with at that point? They turn 18 years old, go off to college. We're trying to prepare for our second one to go off to college. Who are they going to run with? Are there going to be people that Think that they're strange because they don't run with them. I hope so. I hope so. We're avoiding evil. It does not become pharisaical. You don't become a do-gooder. You focus on being, not just doing, but I want to live a life of integrity. I want to live out who I say that I am so that people know that it's not just he's a Sunday morning, go to church, Christian. Christian. She's someone who walks with Jesus day in and day out. It's more about being and not just doing. But also that people will look into our lives and see us kind of respond to their behavior and say, look, that's not me. It's just not me. That's just not who I am. And it's okay for you to respond that way when you're asked to participate in things. It could be an office party at work. It could be what the fellows are doing at the bar after work. It could be what that group of teenagers are doing on Friday night. It is not only okay, it is noble for you to say, hey, I want you to know I love you and I want to encourage you. I want to be a witness in your life, but you need to know that's not me. And for some of you who are new in the faith, you just need to say, That's not me anymore. I know that you knew the old me, but that is not who I am anymore. It's living out what you say you believe. It's saying there's something better. Now, what is it that's better? It's the example of Demetrius in verse 12. He has a good testimony, a good testimony from everyone, from the truth itself. And we also testify, and you know that our testimony is true. That's Demetrius. He's saying he's got a good testimony. Look, the apostle, I mean, John is saying here, when Demetrius is not with us and when he's with you, he's got a good testimony with you. And and so he's not just trying to impress us as the leaders. He's really walking out his faith when he's in your presence and, and others testify of that as well. But we want you to know that when he's not with you and he's with us, he's also the same. That's something I desire that my family would say of me, that we say of one another. Not that dad is perfect because they know better. But they can say, the pastor Robbie that you see teaching and preaching the Word of God... And ministering to the body of Christ, he's the same when he's in the home. He's not putting on a show for anybody. No, he's not perfect, and we've seen him mess up. But he is who he says he is. And so we have this testimony of Demetrius. No matter who he's with, he's the same. And not only that, I have to believe that that's true even when he's alone because it says in the same passage that even the truth itself testifies. He, he, this gospel that he's preaching, it's just something that he's living. And so the gospel message reinforces his life. This change that he wants everybody else to be aware of is a change that has made, been made by the power of the gospel in his life. Has your life changed in such a way? Second Corinthians 5.17 says, If any One be in Christ. He is a new creation. Old things pass away. All things become new. This is important that you get this so that you don't base your security on something that is of the flesh. No change, no Jesus. No Jesus, no change. If Jesus Christ saves you, the same grace that saves is the grace that that changes your life. You begin to grow in, as Peter would say in 3.18, grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Your walk begins to give credibility to your talk, and your talk will give clarity to your walk. That's the change that he's making in your life. As you begin to walk with him, it begins to give credibility to the gospel you say you believe, but you still have to communicate that gospel because it gives clarity to the walk that you're walking. Your life begins to line up with your beliefs. Your beliefs begin to change your life. As Rich Mullins wrote back in the 90s, you did not make it, it is making you. You. This begins to lead you to a life of integrity. It's a life we see in in Daniel's life, in Daniel chapter 6, where he was faithful uh, above reproach in every way. Remember what they said when when they set out to try to come up with a reason to hurt Daniel, to get him out of a position of leadership and influence. When they began to attack Daniel, they came to the conclusion, they said, We will never find anything against Daniel unless we find it in regard to his faithfulness to his God. In other words, they were saying, if we can come up with a law that in order for Daniel to obey that law, he has to disobey God, we know that he will obey God and not man. That's a life of integrity. And Daniel did exactly that. He continued, even though the world around him changed, he continued to walk with God and do what he had continually been doing and consistently been doing. Proverbs 20 and verse 7 says, A righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. One of the greatest psalms on integrity is found in Psalm 15. If you've got your Bibles, flip over to that one. Write it in the margin of 3 John, Psalm 15 The life of integrity, Lord, who may dwell in your tent? Who can live on your holy mountain? The holy mountain referring to Zion, referring to that place of the power and the presence of God. It says, the one who lives honestly and practices righteousness and acknowledges the truth in his heart. Who does not slander with the tongue and who does not harm his friend or discredit his neighbor. Who despises the one rejected by the Lord. What does he do? He, he avoids that bad example, the diatrophies in his life. But honors those who fear the Lord. Who keeps his word whatever the cost. Keeps his word whatever the cost. That's a person of integrity who does not lend his money at interest or take a bribe against the innocent, the one who does these things will never be moved. Isn't that a prosperous testimony that you were unshakable in your faith? We can also turn in the New Testament to 1 Timothy 6, 11 through 14, another great passage on what it means to be a man of integrity, a man of God, I believe it would apply to all of us here, that person of integrity, man, woman, boy, girl, that person of integrity who wants to glorify God in all that they do. But 1 Timothy 6 verses uh, 11 and 12, 13, 14, says, Now you, man of God, run from these things. It matters what you flee from. Run from the Carnality that he's been discussing in verse 10. But then pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Matters what you follow after. Fight the good fight for the faith. Take hold of eternal life to which you were called. Have made a good confession. Before many witnesses, they've heard your testimony. Now, fight for that faith that you say you believe in. It matters what you flee from. It matters what you follow after. It matters what you fight for. He says, in the presence of God who gives life to all and before Christ Jesus, who gave a good confession before Pontius Pilate, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot, or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, stay faithful to the Word. There's a sermon I heard as a young man from John MacArthur. I never forgot from that passage. It matters what you flee from. It matters what you follow after. It matters what you fight for. And it matters what you're faithful to. That's A man of integrity, that's a woman of integrity, a young person of integrity. Because one day, this life is going to come to an end. And when we say we believe this book, and we believe this gospel, and we proclaim it and share it with others, and they see that we live this life, it will make all the difference. Dear friend of many of us here, was buried yesterday, Brother Dan Naldrick. And for years, I knew Brother Dan as our missionary, and Ruth, his wife, and his children, Jason and Gene and Shelly, when they were young, and then they were around here quite often. But for years, I knew of them as our missionaries in South America. And then when he retired from the mission field, when Dan and Ruth came, they lived among us, and I could say... You know, they really lived out the message that they were proclaiming, the message they were taking around the world. They were living that, such a joy to be around. They were rolling up their sleeves and serving in the church. We were praying in their home. And I have no doubt that when he stood before the Lord last week that he heard, well done, good and faithful servant. Because he lived a life where people could see that what he believed mattered, it made a difference in his life. Now, it may not send you halfway around the world, but the people living next door should be able to hear your message and see your life and say they match up. It's a life of integrity. It's a good name that's to be desired above great riches. But if we have the integrity and we leave off the other aspect of that, the the relationships through which that integrity ministers, an isolated integrity serves no purpose. And so here's the second great pursuit this morning. It's the pursuit of intimacy, connecting who you are, being genuine, being authentic, but connecting that with other people, a life of intimacy with others. Demetrius had obviously gotten to know John, and John Demetrius and the others had spent time with Demetrius. But look at the life of John. Look at the one who's writing this letter. He's got other things he wants to say. And by the way, let me be real clear. Because of this 21st century culture, now when you say the word intimacy, people immediately think of sexual intimacy. But I'm talking about becoming family, I'm talking about becoming real, I'm talking about being transparent and developing affections for the body. Of Christ. In fact, before we look at John here, let's think about what Paul said to the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 in the New King James Version. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one mind, being of one accord, a togetherness with this gospel that you received. He says, in all of that, in that comfort in Christ, that consolation, that relationship with Christ, you begin to share that with one another. There's an affection that you share. That word affection in the King James says, bowels. (laughs) I used to read that and say, if there's any bowels, what does that mean? That meant gut-level communication, gut-level relationships, knowing people down deep. And we kind of missed that, but not not John as he's closing this letter. Verse 13, he says, I have many things to write you, but I don't want to write you with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. A lot of things I could write, but he's saying, "We, we just need to get face to face. And I want to encourage everybody my age and younger, especially, and certainly many of you that are older than me, in this world, with all of the ability that we have to communicate with people in so many different ways, don't miss the intimacy that John is wanting to share here with the church. A lot of the other things I could write, and we do have some long letters in the scriptures inspired by the Holy Spirit, but a lot of things I could write, but he said, what I really want is, is for us just to get face to face. And in a day and age where you will go down the highway in a car and text somebody else in the car, maybe it's because you're talking about the driver, sit in a room saying that you're having family time, but you're you're texting everybody else. I've caught myself before responding to my own wife on social media when she was in the same room. And so in this world, we feel like, well, as long as we've sent a text message, as long as we've sent an email, as long as we've put it on Facebook, as long as it's on Instagram, then then we've had communication. Maybe so, but we haven't had fellowship. We haven't had communion. We haven't experienced family life and body life. We haven't experienced intimacy. We've got to learn to, to build relationships with those we love, beginning with our homes, but certainly in the church, in the body of Christ, wanting to become face-to-face with one another. This morning, before I left my home, I had watched a sermon by Charles Stanley. I had watched a sermon by David Jeremiah, and I was doing some other things this morning as I was getting ready, since Tina and Karis are out of town. But as I was getting ready, my TV was on Charles Stanley, and then it was on David Jeremiah, and then I closed out with a Tony Evans, hallelujah. It was a great morning. Now, many would have said, I've had church today. It, it, we don't have church. We are the church. We are the called out ones. And called together, called out, ecclesia, the Greek word for church. Called together, koinonia, the Greek word for fellowship. And that's something we're to experience together. Become family together. What does he call them? In verse fifteen or fourteen B, depending on your translation, he says, "Friends." So the friends, those that I'm with, send greetings, and I want you to greet the friends. Now, earlier, some translations might say "beloved" in the earlier verses. That's the word agape. It, it, it comes from you know, that, that unconditional sacrificial love, agape love that you've heard about. Here, it's the word, it's at the root of Philadelphia, philos. It has to do with family love. And so when he says friends, he's saying, we're like family. We share a, a love and affection like family. And, and the ones that are the family of the body of Christ here send greetings. And I want you to tell the family, I said hello. Some won't ever allow this to happen in their lives. See, it kind of starts with getting involved in, in small groups, something that, that, that can't happen in the church corporately unless your church is only about 20 or 30 people. Some people say, well, you know, it's kind of interesting, uh, the dynamic that takes place today, especially in, in, like, northeast Georgia. Sometimes we have new visitors that say, I've never been to a, a, a small church like this in my life. And then we get many who are saying, I'm just not used to being a part of a church that's so big. And it's all relative. Once you get past about 20 or 30 people in a church, if you want to continue to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and see the church grow, the church has to get larger by getting smaller. We have to get involved in small groups and affinity groups where we can share life with one another. We begin to enjoy fellowships with one another. We get involved in serving on ministry teams where we rub elbows with one another as we serve the Lord with gladness. We're serving together. Next thing you know, we're going on some trips together. I'll never forget, teenagers, I want you to listen to this. I'll never forget when I was a youth pastor. We did something on Sunday nights called called uh, Destination Unknown. We, whether we were going to Krispy Kreme or somebody's house or to play volleyball or something like that, a lot of times it was just my house, but... But if we were going somewhere after church, and we called it Destination Unknown so that it would be a surprise, really so that I wouldn't have to plan ahead, but it was so it would be a surprise, Destination Unknown. And one particular night, all of my middle schoolers started pouting. I don't even remember where we were going, but they were kind of like, oh, I don't want to do that. I don't want to go there. That's no fun and all that. And the older ones, I was so proud of them because they got it. And the older ones were able to communicate to the younger ones. They said, don't you realize it's not about where we go, but it's that we get on the buses together and that we're hanging out together, that we're fellowshipping together. It doesn't matter where we go, we're going to have a good time. I was so proud of the older kids that got that, that were being leaders at that moment. And sometimes it's a good thing for people to go on a mission trip or go to a concert, not just for what you experience while you're there, but, but, but that you experience it together. It, it doesn't matter if the sunlighters are going to eat somewhere you don't like. Just go along anyway and enjoy a meal with them. Order the soup or salad, I don't care, but fellowship. Get to know people and interact. And then that spills over, and eventually, before you know it, without planning it, it becomes organic And you start doing life with the people of God, and the church didn't even put that on the calendar. Just some some brothers and sisters got together and said, let's do life together. Let's share this together. Businesses, sports teams, clubs and civic organizations often do a better job at this than the church. And I've wondered why that is. But I think sometimes it's because the church brings a spiritual element, (laughs) and we might be a afraid that there's going to be some accountability and all that. And you know there will be, but it's going to be such a sweet spirit because we're family that we invite that as well as it begins to happen. Get to know people. Share life with them. For 11 years, 11 years, a hit TV show ran on television stations all across this nation and many places around the world. It, it was a show where Sam, Cliff, Norm, Woody, and Frazier, who later would have his own show, right? Where they would get together on a regular basis. A, a show called Cheers, right? They gathered in a bar. A couple of them worked there. The others were just the regulars. But, but they longed to just get together and talk. And if you think about it, if you think about the characters... If anybody wants to confess their cardinality and say they watched it like I did, if you think about those characters, they really had nothing in common, right? Nothing. They had nothing in common. Except, as the theme song said, sometimes you just want to go. All right, some other sinners here too, right? You want to go where everybody knows your name, where they're always glad you came. You want to go where you can see our problems are all the same because you want to go where everybody knows your name. God forbid that a group of people could gather in a bar and have more fellowship and do life together better than the body of Christ better than the family that's been bought with the blood of Jesus, the called out ones that are called together, the ecclesia who become the koinonia, that we are called out, that we come together as family. Understanding that we do have something in common. Now I know I'm looking at a vastly different group of people this morning. But for those of you who named the name of Jesus, we have been made family through the blood of Jesus Christ. So we need to grow together as family. There's got to be an intimacy there. Then we begin to influence and encourage people doing body life. Integrity, intimacy. You live your life with those two great pursuits. I guarantee you on the authority of Scripture, you will have a good testimony. You will have a testimony to the glory of God, and you will leave a legacy. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, we are so thankful for this study in 3 John and what you've had to say to us by your word and through your Holy Spirit. Lord, it seems so challenging when we try to think about our own abilities and pursue integrity and intimacy with others. Lord, I pray that this morning that we would see that It's really a matter of us cooperating with what you're doing in in our lives, Lord. As we begin to walk in the truth and and it affects our relationships with the people around us, Lord, you will build our spiritual resume. You will build our testimony. And Lord, we pray that it will be for the glory of God, not for our own glory. That we would live with a passion Receive a testimony that leads one day to the well done of God but also leads many others to see that you're real because we were real. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.